this morning. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles chapter 14. 2 Chronicles chapter 14. And I want to preach a message this morning entitled, Finding Rest in God. Finding Rest in God. Uh, We're going to read about a king who was probably the first king in the post-divided kingdom of Israel. That is, in other words, at a certain point after Solomon had been king, Israel split into essentially two nations. The ten northern tribes of Israel became known as just Israel, or referred to as Israel. Occasionally, as you're reading through the prophets, Hosea refers to Israel as Ephraim. Uh, Sometimes it will refer to the whole nation by their capital city, which was Samaria. Uh, And then the southern kingdom was two small tribes uh, known as the nation of Judah. And there was, in the southern kingdom, that southern kingdom was the kingdom that lasted longer uh, in the history of the Old Testament as you read through the scriptures, the northern kingdom became that kingdom that would defy God at every hand. Not one king would would ever try to do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And they saw their captivity come at the hands of the Assyrian army much sooner than that of the southern kingdom at the hands of the Babylonians. But Asa was one of those kings of the southern kingdom the kingdom of Judah, where Jerusalem would have been, the capital city of, at one point, all of Israel at that time, and of course today is, in fact, the capital city of Israel at present day. But uh, Asa was the first king after David to actually do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He was somebody who did not follow in the footsteps of his father, but as often is described about many uh, of the kings who did walk in the ways of righteousness and do what was right before the Lord, they would, as the Bible says, they would walk in the ways of their father David and did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. But listen to what the Bible says starting at verse 2. Of 2 Chronicles chapter 14, the Bible says this, Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. He removed the foreign altars and the high places, smashed the sacred stones and cut the Asherah poles. He commanded Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, and to obey his laws and commands. He removed the high places and incense altars in every town in Judah, and the kingdom was at peace under him. Notice that. He built up the fortified cities of Judah since the land was at peace. No one was at war with him during those years, for the Lord gave him peace. Rest. Notice that. For the Lord, verse 6, gave him rest. Verses 7 and 8 say, Let us build up these towns, he said to Judah, and put walls around them with towers, gates, and bars. The land is still ours because we have sought the Lord our God. We have sought Him and have given, He has given us rest on every side. So they built and prospered. Asa had an army of 300 men from Judah equipped with large shields and with spears and 280,000 from Benjamin armed with small shields and bows. All these were brave fighting men. Sorry, the Bible says 300,000 
thousand men uh, equipped with large shields and with spears in verse 8. But the Bible lets us know that during this time, he was at rest. It's an amazing thing. You can go from being an idolatrous nation to being a nation that's at rest with God. It's a wonderful thing to look into the Old Testament. And I know a lot of people look at the Old Testament as they read through Old Testament history and they read how the prophets spoke, how God spoke through the prophets. And sometimes some of the intense language that is used to describe the people of Israel and where they are with God. And, and you know, sometimes it just looks like God is just out to judge them, that that is his only purpose. Well, God, in fact, will judge his people. There's no doubt about that. There's no doubt that he did and no doubt that he came in. But when you look at what he did for Asa, you find the mercy of God and the grace of God all through Scripture, all through the Old Testament into the New Testament. We live in the age of grace today, but grace and mercy was right there to give rest. Today you say, and you might say to yourself, Pastor, I'm not really sure what it means to have rest with God. It doesn't have anything to do with your difficulty. It doesn't have anything to do with that moment in your life where you feel as though everything is crashing down around you. But it could be like Israel that there have been things that have crept in and you have allowed to enter in that need to be handled and taken care of. Because brothers and sisters, we cannot have rest with God. It's impossible to have rest with God if some things are allowed to exist and continue in our lives. So how do we have it? How can we really have rest with God? You see, the nation of Judah had already begun to worship other gods. They had already begun to be a part of the culture of the world and the society that they're living in. And can I just say this? If we are not careful as Christians, we can do the same thing in our present day that we are living in. We can follow along with the flow of culture and with the flow of society because let's face it, that's what everybody else is doing. Remember King, when at the advent of King Saul, what the people of Israel said to the prophet Samuel. Over and over and over again, they said, we want a king. Samuel tried to discourage them. Samuel said, listen, if you get a king, he is going to, uh, he is going to tax you. He is going to enslave your, your children, your families. He is going to inscript them to, to, to join uh, the, the, the uh, make warriors out of your young men, send them into battle. You have God as your king. No, no, no. We want a king. We want it. Why? Because that's what everybody else is doing. Look at the nation over there. They've got a king. Look at the nation over there. They've got a king. So, brothers and sisters, we are living in a society that if we are not careful as a church, and I'm not saying as this local body, but the church worldwide, if we're not careful, we will fall into the same traps of the world and we will say, but this is the way culture and society is going. We've got to, we've got to follow along with them so they think we're just as cool as they are. Brothers and sisters, God did not call you and me to be cool. He called us to preach the gospel. He called us to deliver a message of hope to a world that is lost and dying without Jesus. But part of the problem is, is that we allow things to creep in and get in. And we wonder why sometimes there's just no, no rest. There's this restlessness that occurs in our lives. There's this, this, this just feeling of I can't describe what's going on on in the inside of me, but there is this feeling of, of frustration. There's this feeling of, of bitterness. There's a feeling of anger. There's a feeling of this. And you can, you can put a label on any one of those feelings and those things that are going on. And the bottom line is because there's no rest. But the Bible says we've have a, we have a promise of rest. And right here in the middle of an idolatrous nation, a king does something to regain the rest that God wanted to give his nation 
And the first thing that he did was this. He removed sin. Finding rest in God requires the removal of sin. Listen to what he did. The first thing he did, the Bible says that he tore down the foreign altars. Notice that. The foreign altars. Where did they come from? Didn't come under David's reign. But remember David's son, King Solomon? Solomon loved to collect wives. He was a wife collector. And he collected them from all over. And all of these wives, and the the crazy thing, and we might get back to Solomon here in the very near future. The crazy thing about Solomon is God spoke to Solomon in such a mighty and a powerful way. Solomon witnessed the glory of God quite literally and physically descending upon the sacrifices that they made at the dedication of the temple. Solomon was somebody who was not unacquainted with the presence of God. So where did the foreign altars come from under Solomon? Parading all these women from these other places. Solomon, he couldn't help himself. Oh, but listen, the Egyptian princess, she's she's a looker. Got to have her. But here comes the Egyptian princess with all her gods, with all her idols. But wait a minute, what about that princess over there? Yep, yep, going to get her too. But she's bringing her gods. And Solomon's, wait a minute, I don't know about this. But you know what? Eventually, here's what happened. They turned his heart to their gods. Brothers and sisters, don't think for a minute that somehow, well, I know she's not a Christian. I know he's not a believer. But you know what? I know I can get him into church. I got to tell you, you don't know nothing. You don't know anything. If you think you're going to get that one to the altar, think again. They will get you back out into the world, pull you out into a place that you should not go as a believer faster. Why? Because the emotions are involved. All of a sudden now, by the time Asa rolls around and Asa comes on the scene, there are altars to Baal, Asherah poles all over the place. These high places that they went to worship idols and other gods in a nation that was reserved for God's people. So what does he do? He says, get rid of them. Only a king could do this. Take them down. Take them down. It's an amazing thing. You see in the Bible, as the priests and as the kings go, so goes the nation. And brothers and sisters, if we're not careful, that's exactly how it happens here in this country too. As the leaders go, so go we as a church. You know what? We have to fight against that and believe that God is going to help us to tear down some of the idols that the world has, has, has allowed to be put up. And if we're not careful, they get into the church and, and they kind of, they kind of, that's our, that becomes our agenda now. I want to tell you, we've got one agenda in this church is to lift up the name of Jesus. And that's it. There will be no idolatry here. There will be nothing that will smack of what the world is doing. It's got to be all Him or we have no point of staying open. The Bible says that he went and tore them down. He he went and, and, you know, took care of all of these things. He began to destroy them. He sent his men and his women out there and he said, listen, you tear down these things. They're an abomination to God. You get rid of all of those things. We're not going to have any rest with God as long as we have a, a, a double, we're living double lives. We say we're God's people, but we're worshiping other gods. We're not God's people. He said, you go tear them down. And they began to tear down those idols and those things. He said, but what's the big deal with idolatry anyway? Okay, fine. It breaks the first commandment. We know that, okay? Broken commandment, but, you know, really, in the end, what's, what's the big deal? People bowing down to a piece of wood has no life, some inanimate object. You're my God. Well, that's stupid enough as it is. We know that. Remember the golden calf? Aaron decided he had to fashion because the people were rebellious and they were idolatrous. And they bowed down and said, you're the God who brought us out of Egypt. That wasn't the God that brought them out of Egypt. But what's the big deal with it anyway? You see, the problem with idolatry is not just, if this isn't bad enough, it is bad enough, but it's not just that it breaks the commandments of God, but it also leads into other sins. Have you ever ever known and, and you, you follow your own life and times where you've given into one thing, but in the back of your mind you said, I'll never do that. 
Never. Uh, do that. Yep, I got a problem. Got I need help. But I'll never. And years later, because you don't get rid of that one thing, you find yourself doing the thing that you said you'd never do. That's how sin works. Sin gets in the door. And we allow, the Bible says, neither give place to the devil. Don't give him a foothold. But we allow him in the door just a little bit. And all of a sudden, there are these hosts of other things that begin to get in. You see, idolatry in the Old Testament also allowed for temple prostitution. It allowed for child sacrifice, to sacrifice your own children. In fact, by the time of by, by Jeremiah's time, and by the time it was already too late and the Babylonians were going to flood the city and take away the people of Judah, they were already sacrificing their own babies in the fire, folks. That's the big deal. Idolatry, you say, but what about us here today? We, none of us bow down to anything that is you know, inanimate. We don't, we don't have these little idols in our homes. We don't, you know, have them riding on the dashboard of our car. We don't do that. We don't have all of that. What is it that we're, you know, that we, we could potentially do? You see, brothers and sisters, the bottom line is when God is not first in your life, then there is an idol that has crept in. There is something that has now become elevated above God. If there is anything that has been elevated above God, you have an idol that you have allowed to exist in your life. God does not want to be first on your list. He wants to be your list. He wants to be the only one. There shouldn't be anything shared. You can't have a life of duplicity. You can't have a double life where you say, but I'm going to go here and do this, but you know what? On Sunday, I'm going to be at church, oh, pastor. I'm here. I'm ready to roll, pastor. Oh, I'm going to shout and praise God, but in the during the week, you're out doing your own thing, sneaking around behind, you know, closed doors. <laughs> this is the life. Yeah, this is what I'm going to do. Brothers and sisters, you wonder why you don't have rest. That is why. It's time to remove the foreign altars. The Bible says this, and it uses language like this, that he removed them. He smashed them. And he cut them down. You see, these may sound like very harsh words, but sin cannot be coddled. Sin cannot be held with delicate hands. You cannot remove sin like you're extracting a cat from a tree. You know, the cat, you don't want to squeeze too hard, poor thing. If you've ever held a bird, I, I remember as a kid holding a bird, you know, you, you can't, if you don't want the bird to fly away, you've got to hold it tight enough so that he can't flutter his wings and fly to your hand, but at the same time, you can't squeeze so hard that that poor bird's going to just, you know, go into bird heaven. You've got to hold it in a gentle manner. That's not how you, you deal with sin. Sin has to be cut off. In fact, listen to how Jesus said it. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 5, verses 29 and 30. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Jesus, again, was not speaking literally of your hand or your eye. He was speaking about those things that we allow to get into our lives that will keep us from eternal life, that will keep us from having rest in God. He says there's only one way to deal with it. Don't hide it. Don't push it under. Don't coddle it. Don't hold it in your hand and regret that you have to let it go. He says cut it off. Get rid of it. Get it out. Don't allow it to exist. Do whatever you have to do to destroy it. You can't toy with sin. You have to be violent with it. Don't let it live. Don't let it exist. If there are things in your life that allow you to lead you into sin, then let me, let me just tell you right now, avoid those things. Get rid of them. If it's something you can live without, live without it. We live in a modern day of conveniences. 
things are being piped into our homes more and more and getting into our minds and getting into our hearts. i got to tell you what you're allowing your mind to be filled with. That is the very thing that you will become. The idols will come up. The idols will be there. Listen, cut it off. Cut it off. And if need be, shut it off. Romans chapter 6, and I need to move on. But Romans chapter 6, verses 12 through 14. Listen to how Paul says that we're to deal with sin. He says this, therefore do not let sin. Romans 6, verses 12 to 14. Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer your, the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to Him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master because you're not under the law, but under grace. Brothers and sisters say, well, but pastor, you don't know how ingrained this thing is in my life. It's been a long time. It's a habit that's been there a long time. It's something I've allowed to exist a long, long time. Can I tell you today that the grace of God is greater than the length of time you've allowed that thing to exist it is more powerful than any foothold the enemy can have in your life whether it's an addiction or a habit or something else you need to know the grace of God that you are living under is greater than any sin that could ever set itself up in your life and get an altar there you need to know it's possible to tear it down it's possible to smash it it's possible to get rid of it it's possible to cut it off Because you're not under law, you are under grace. And the grace of God says, I'm going to give you another chance. Not only am I going to give you another chance, I'm going to empower you with my spirit to be able to give you the help that you need and the power you need to be an overcomer. Listen, the Bible says that they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. When God delivers you, you need to let the redeemed of the Lord say so. You need to open your mouth and say, God has done this for my life. And you keep walking in that. Finding rest in God also requires a rebuilding of strength. It requires the removing of sin, but it also requires rebuilding of strength because sin weakens. It's an amazing thing. There's imagery that is used in the Bible from time to time that allows you to get some sense of how sin works and operates in the life of an individual as it did in a similar way to the physical structures that people lived in. And often it is this idea of a weakness in a wall in ancient times. That there are holes that are there. That there are things that are allowed to go unattended. And the Bible lets us know that when you remove that thing that is offensive, you must fill it with something that is right. You've got to fill it with righteousness. What does Jesus tell us? He tells us the story of how when a demon is is taken out, when a demon is cast out of someone's life, that person goes around and that demon looks for a place to go and finds as they come back that the house has been swept clean, but there's nothing filling the house. And so they come back and bring more with them. You see, when we get saved, when we give our lives to Christ, when we allow the Holy Spirit to deliver us from things, we can't just walk around and say, oh, thank God I'm clean. Thank God I'm clean. But then we don't read our Bibles. We don't pray. We don't fellowship together in church and come together. We don't do what the Bible tells us to do. And then what happens is, is all of a sudden now, you are in a worse position than you were before. There have been people who have attended this church in the past. The Lord has touched them. The Lord has saved them. The Lord has healed them. The Lord has done something wonderful for them. But they have not pursued the life of Christ that they should pursue. And this very day, they are worse off than what they were before they came to Christ. Because they're out in the world. They're now doing their own thing. But they're doing it in a more deadly way. 
They're doing it, living their lives to please themselves in a way that will destroy them and could potentially destroy others. Brothers and sisters, we have to be very, very careful. We've got to rebuild. Listen to what the Bible says in 2 Chronicles 14, 7. Asa declared this. He said, let us rebuild or build up these towns. They have been decayed. We have allowed them to go by because when you're focused only on sin, you don't care about the defenses of the town. You don't care about what's going on around you. You have a false sense of security. There is a declaration in this of weakness. This is the difficult part to get to. I've got to rebuild. What that indicates is you've allowed it to decay. It is an admission of weakness. The declaration to build up these towns was literally an admission of great weakness and vulnerability on their part. But you cannot get help until you say, I got a problem. They tell any drug addict that, any alcoholic that. You cannot get help until you admit you have a problem. And that's only the first step. You can admit you have a problem until you, you, the day you die but never get help. The next part is even more difficult. It is that of rebuilding. It is now the declaration. We've talked about a little bit the declaration of weakness. It's admitting I am weak. I need help. I've got to change this situation. We, the idea of rebuilding means that there is a problem. we got some steps out here that are literally crumbling. I, I could come by and look at those steps and say, there's no problem. You walk out there, you'll see there's a problem. No problem at all. None whatsoever. No, no, no. It doesn't matter that there's gravel falling out of the cement and the cement is crumbling. No, there's no problem. You can say that all you want, but if you will look at it and say, it's time to rebuild the steps, you say, yes, it's a problem. There's a weakness there. There's a crumbling. There's something that has to change. And brothers and sisters, they declared that they had to work. Let us build means you got to work. There has to be some work. There are no shortcuts. A lot of people want that shortcut, that instant. We're so instant-minded in these days. You know, we, we, you know, we microwave our food now. Years ago, you had to wait for mama to cook it. Now you just, you know, you go get that TV dinner, you stick it in the microwave, and bam. But how many of you, when you put something in the microwave, stand there and watch it? And look at the two minutes that have to pass, right? In sort of this, come on, kind of way. Maybe you're extra hungry, I don't know. Or, you know, you're, you're on the internet and you're, you know, a page. All of a sudden, it stops loading. And then it loads and you think, that's a problem. I'm just curious, how many people remember modems? Those of you who do go on the internet, you remember modem? You know, you'd, have, you'd, you'd click on a page to let it load, and then you sit there and read a book for a while, and then look up, ah, there it is. Get your news, you know. That was, that was ancient history now, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, whatever it was. You know, it's, it's, it's an amazing, we're instant, we, everything has to be instant, and we look at our spiritual lives in that way, that it's got to be an overnight thing. i got to tell you, if you're going to be a believer, you're going to be somebody who wants to, to have rest with God, you're going to have to allow the work of God in your life to happen in His time and yield to it and say, Lord, whatever my part is to do, I'm willing to work at it. We look in the mirror sometimes and we think, why am I not more mature in Christ? Why do I not have this like this other person has? Why don't I do this? Why isn't it this way? And we question ourselves all almost nearly to death. Meanwhile, when, when what we really ought to be doing is just saying, Lord, I'm going to submit to the work of God that's going to happen in my life. I'm going to submit to that work, that declaration of work, the work of God. Let us Build, he said, there is a hand that you and I have in this. I know that we are saved by grace through faith, but I want you to know something that your development and your maturity in Christ is going to come hand in hand with the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not all him. You can't stand back and say, well, let me just ignore scripture and let me ignore my prayer time and see how much I grow because it's all on God. 
No, he's given us a means by which we can grow, by which we can build up our lives and have rest with God. When you declare that you're going to work, this is also going to be, as we, we declare that we're going to build, there is a declaration of winning. Listen to what Asa said. He said, the land is still ours. The enemy hasn't taken it. I know there are a lot of foreign idols in this land, but the land is still ours. It still belongs to God. It's still His. The rebuilding of strength is often a step of faith. It's looking at the promises of God and seeing that while they haven't all come to completion, they are still true as the day He spoke them, brothers and sisters. When you stand on what God has promised, you have declared that through Him you will win. The land is still yours. You need to know the devil, as much as he might have been able to get in, you've allowed him in. It doesn't belong to him. Your life is not his. You belong to somebody else, somebody who gave his all for you, who died on the cross for you, who gave his very best so that you could have life and have it to the full. It is a declaration of winning. Now, there is one final thing. As we approach finding rest with God, finding rest with God requires a restoration of seeking God. I've already touched on this a little bit, but listen to what verse 4 says. In 2 Chronicles 14 and verse 4, it says, He commanded Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, and to obey His laws and commands. He commanded them to call on the Lord, something only a king could do. I can't do it. I can invite you to call on the Lord. When we come to pray on Tuesday nights, I can invite you to pray. When you are at home, if you're only depending on Tuesday nights to pray, then, then there needs to be some serious looking at your spiritual life. Not by me, but by yourself. You need to search your heart because that's like existing on one meal a week. That's like existing on one, you know, one drink of water. You can't exist like that for the whole week. You get dehydrated. You're going to fall. There's going to be problems. All kinds of things can happen. You've got to have that fresh intake as you pray, as you call on the Lord. The Bible says he commanded them to call on God. And today the command comes from heaven for us to seek the Lord. Listen to what Isaiah says. You don't need to turn there, but listen to what he says in Isaiah 55 and verse 6. It says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Why is it a command? Why a command? Because the, the problem was a desperate situation. There are times in our lives where it's not going to be fixed by counseling. I know that we live in an age where many churches are looking to, let me go get counsel. Well, I, I advise you to get counsel on certain things, on many things. Counsel is good, but there is no counsel like coming to the counselor and saying, Lord, what am I going to do? Lord, what do you want me to do? How am I going to work on this? Lord, what's going to happen in this situation? Lord, help me in this moment. When you run to him and you begin to seek him, he opens up his words so that you can see his advice. When you can get his input on the situation. Listen, if you come to me first, please go to the Lord first. If you still are having a little bit of a difficulty in a hard time, come to me and I'll do my very best and I'll probably end up praying for you because I don't know everything there is to know. He knows it all. So we're going to trust in the Lord. So we've got to seek him. Seek the Lord while he may be found. The nation was spiritually dead and needed an awakening. And the only way for that to happen is for them to seek the Lord. You might feel in your heart there is this, this pensiveness. There is this restlessness. What do I do? How can I handle this? Say, Pastor, I don't have any secret sins in my life. But there's just this, this restlessness. Maybe you've removed some things. Maybe you've allowed those things to be there too long. And now it's gone. It's out of the way. But I want you to know that it's time now to seek the Lord. 
It's time now to get into his presence. The Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. If we are wise, we will heed his command to seek him, to go after him. Can I just tell you that seeking God is not about getting from God. It is about getting God. A lot of times people are always, they're looking for God to just sort of, here, Lord, here's my hand. I, here's what I need. You know, 10 bucks, Lord. 50, I need this. I need this. As if somehow God is just the one who just walks around handing out spare change, handing out all kinds of things. Okay, here you go. Here you go. Yeah, but, you know, you ever do that? Your kids, right? Your kids, I need 20 bucks. I need 10 bucks. They get it from me and they run away. And you know what? You're a parent. You love them more than they, they even have a clue about right now. And you look at them, and you're like, you know what? I just want to see your face for a minute. And they kind of look at you and go, yeah, yeah. Okay, bye. Right? They run away. They don't get it. You see, I think that sometimes what God really wants from us is to look at us a little. What I mean by that is to spend time with us, for us to be in his presence and allow him to just Let his face shine upon us. Brothers and sisters, we often miss that in prayer because we're going to God for this thing and that thing. Not to say that you shouldn't, that he's not there to help you with that. But I'm saying that seeking God, we see it in Scripture in the Old Testament and then the New Testament, that when we seek after him, it is seeking him, not the things that he can give us. That is secondary. He'll give you those things. He'll bless you. He'll help you. He'll minister to you. He'll he'll provide for you. All of those things. But let's go after him. That's the only way that we can truly have rest in God. He, He commanded them also not just to seek the Lord, but to obey the Lord. This goes hand in hand. Well, I'm going to seek God, but when God tells me and shows me in his word what I'm supposed to do, and it doesn't really fit with my agenda... Yeah, you know, I'll just kind of tear that page out. Yeah, kind of, you know, or we, we tear it out by ignoring it. We don't, we don't rip it from our Bibles. We're, we don't do that. We have enough respect not to do that, but we just rip it out by ignoring what it says. It's an interesting thing. Thomas Jefferson, one of the founding fathers of our nation, was not in the sense that we understand it a believer. You say, well, weren't they all? No, no, trust me. He was a deist. A deist is somebody who believes, does not believe in miracles, does not believe in that God is active in our time. He believed that God made the world and like a clockmaker sets the clock in motion and then it's hands off from the clockmaker. Nothing, no activity, no nothing. That The world just hangs out there and it just is. No miracles, no anything. Thomas Jefferson, there is actually, I believe, a reprint of the Thomas Jefferson Bible. The Thomas Jefferson Bible was where Thomas Jefferson went through the Bible and began to cut out all the areas of the miraculous in the Bible. I don't know how thick it is. I've never seen it. But I've heard it is significantly thinner than this. Not because it's a thin-line Bible, But because when you begin to extract the miraculous out of Scripture, you've got nothing left. It's all miraculous. It's all wonderful. It's all powerful. But brothers and sisters, there are times in our lives we don't extract the miraculous. We just extract the commands we don't like. You know, get out the scissors, start cutting away. We don't do it literally, but we cut it out of our lives because we think, does not apply to me. Brothers and sisters, the command was to seek the Lord and it was to obey the Lord. If we want, if we really want rest in God, then we're going to not just seek the Lord, we're going to obey Him. We're going to obey what the Word says, obey what God has to say. I need to bring this to a close and I'm going to do that right now. He commenced with calling on God. I love this because this was Asa not just saying, Now I want all you people to pray. And then he walks back into his castle. He says, feed me grapes. 
lay back, you know, as you might have. Come on now. No, he didn't do that. The land is still ours. Then the Bible says, in, listen to verse 11. We didn't read verse 11. We only read to verse 8. But listen to what it says. Then Asa, the king, called to the Lord his God. And then it goes on about his prayer. I'm not going to take time to read the prayer But the Bible shows us in this case, it wasn't just a, now let me tell you what you're going to do. Here's what we're going to do. And that's exactly what he did. He began to pray. And brothers and sisters, it's one thing to point at somebody and say, you need to pray. It's another thing to point at them and say, I'm going to pray with you. And I'm going to pray. And you know what? A lot of times, what what I've found in counseling, those of you who have called me on occasion, maybe there are things that are going on. I I try as best I can, if the moment allows for it, to pray right then and there, over the phone, whatever it might be. And and if, you know, if I start praying sometimes and, and, you know, you can't, then just say, Pastor, I can't pray right now. And I'll I'll shut up at that moment. But a lot of times I, I will just go to the Lord in prayer at that moment because there's no time like the present. I might not have the answers, but I know that he does. We know that God has the answer. You see, the king led the people in prayer. The king showed them by example that they needed to pray. He commenced calling on the Lord. Instead of being a hearer of the word, he was a doer of the word. It's so much easier to be a hearer, isn't it? So much easier. But a doer of the word gets things done. A doer of the word is somebody who's going to have rest with God. So how do we do this? How do we start this? There was a a brother at Zion who was, uh, years ago when I worked there at the Bible College, uh, who was on the administrative committee. Uh, I was part of the administrative committee. There were about four or five other people. The academic dean, this brother who was, I think, the controller of the school, the president, and then a couple other people. And his favorite saying, and I've used it to this day, was this. We start by starting. He was from New York. He said it in his New York accent. I can't really do that. But, you know, he he said, we start by starting. And I remember that to this day. You know, it's kind of like Nike. Just do it. Don't sit around and talk about it and bemoan, oh, this, you know, I've allowed this into my life and I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. The Bible has told us what we are to do. If you want rest with God, it's time to seek the Lord. Don't sit around and say, but, you know, the Lord knows I've been so unholy, so I've got to try to be better before I approach Him. Where do you find that in Scripture? That's nowhere found in the Bible. You don't have to do that. You start by starting. That's why the Bible says we can boldly approach the throne of grace. It's not based on you. It's based on what Jesus did for you. It's based on the blood of Christ. You can boldly approach the throne of grace because the blood of Jesus is still enough to cover you and to give you what you need. Brothers and sisters, I don't know about you today, but I know that if you need rest in your life. It starts by coming to Him. It starts by saying, Lord, if there's anything in my life that shouldn't be here, give me the grace and the power and the ability to take it away, to cut it out, to smash it, to get rid of it, to remove sin for you, and to rebuild strength in you, and finally to restore seeking of you, because there is no other way that we can have rest in God. If we remove any of these things from our lives and decide that, no, I'm not going to rebuild strength, you're going to wonder why you're so pensive, why you're so restless. It's because you have allowed the process to be messed with and brought your own agenda in. Listen, I want to be what God wants me to be, don't you? I want God to work in and through my life and to to be at rest. There are times in our lives where life is so crazy and problems are so big and we don't know what to do. Run back to the Word of God and find that there is somebody who is there to help you. You say, prayer, really? Prayer is the answer? It's so hard to pray. It's so difficult. But you know what? When it all comes down to it, it's your only hope. Prayer is the answer in your situation. 
And prayer is work. Yes, it is, folks. There, there's no getting around it. Prayer is often more work than an eight-hour day job that you might have. Prayer can be difficult. You say, but so why do it? Because the results are phenomenal. The results are great. The results are awesome. So we have to come to God and say, Lord, today I need rest in you. Can we stand to our feet right now? And before we close this meeting today, I believe with all my heart that there might be somebody in this building who needs rest in your soul. You need rest from the Lord. Today I would encourage you in this final moment, these few moments that we have together, that you would just make your way to the altar right now. I want the musicians to come. I want you to play that chorus, I exalt thee. But you need rest in your soul, rest in your heart. You come right now. Come and just stand at this altar. Nobody's going to lean over and say "Pass." Say what's going on in your life. What is it that you need? What is it? What's going on? What have you allowed in there? Nobody's going to do that. But just today, right now, this is between you and the Lord. This is you and God saying, God, I need your help. I need your power right now. And let's believe God for his grace and for his mercy right now. I want some that are still standing. If you are choosing to stay where you are, I want you to move now to the front. Come and stand behind somebody and pray for them. You don't need to talk to them. You don't need to ask them about what's happening, but I want you to come and pray. Come and pray. Come on, some of the sisters in Christ, come right now. Come and pray and let's let's support our, our sisters that are standing here right now and believe God for his grace and for his power and for his help. Come on, let's just believe God in the name of Jesus. We need rest today in you, O oh God. We need rest, O oh God, in you. Lord God, in the name of Jesus, we run to you right now. And we ask, O oh God, in this moment, that Lord, whatever, whatever part of this process is maybe out of whack, maybe it's not the way it should be, I ask, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that, Lord, you would help us to cry out to you, to call upon your name. Lord God, in the name of Jesus, right now I pray for your people, those who have come and said, I need rest in my soul. I need rest in you. God, you know that the hours that they are going through. You know the moments of life that they find themselves in. And yet, God, I know that your power is greater, that you are greater, oh God. I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that you would pour in a blessing upon their lives that you would help them and strengthen them with all their heart, their soul, and their mind to seek after you. Lord God, we thank you today for your mercy. We thank you, Lord, for your grace, oh God, for all that you're doing, all that you're going to do, oh God. And I pray in the name of Jesus that, Lord God, you would pour in your rest in our lives today, Lord. Maybe there are some things we need to release to you and give to you right now. God, I pray that you would help us to do that. Lord, in the name of Jesus, help us to seek after you with all of our heart, our soul, and our mind, oh God. In the mighty name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. For thou, O Lord, art high above all the earth. Thou art exalted far above all gods for thou O Lord art high above all the earth thou art exalted far above Oh
just those who have come to this altar, but that, Lord, we would walk in your rest, a rest that can only be found in you. I thank you, Lord, that you provide for it. The Lord, as crazy as life can get and as difficult as problems can be, Lord, in the midst of all of that, we can find rest for our souls. Lord, you told your disciples one day, come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Lord God, I pray that you would help us to follow the first part of that because that depends on us. We've got to come to you, and then you will give us rest. Help us, Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus. No matter what it is that we are going through, no matter what the trial or the pain or the frustration, God, I pray that you would pour in your peace, oh God, the peace of God that passes all understanding, that it would guard our hearts and our minds. Lord, we love you. And God, we're going to give you the praise in the wonderful and mighty name of Jesus. Amen and amen. As you leave this building today, turn and greet one another in the joy and in the love of Jesus. God bless you.